Welcome to Trending in Education. We've been spending some time closing out the year that is 2020. Truth be told, we're recording this in 2020. So we're still living in the past, but we're looking forward to the future and we're trying to trying to get a sense of what's on the horizon. To do so though, I'm very happy to be joined by regular friends of the show. We got to figure out what we call these, these compatriots. I called right. you compatriots in learning last time, which uh, that I liked, but uh, maybe I'll start with you, Dan, and then we'll conclude with Melissa Griffith, but Dan Stratford, Melissa Griffith, welcome back to Trending in Education. 2021 is on the horizon. I feel like it's a, a contributor. It's three or less times a year, and then it's a co-host if it's 12 or more. It's like dating. You have to figure out yeah. what the terminology is for everything, nice. but I, I dig it. I'm not ready to commit to co-hosting. <laughs> we'll that see. seems like a commitment, okay? I like the freedom to go to other pods when needed. That's true. That makes sense. <laughs> so it's it's an open podcasting relationship. But Melissa, how are you, uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited for 2021 and what the year will bring. I'm happy. I know. I'm looking into the future and, yeah. and it looks bright. Yeah. And uh, so again, truth be told, we're recording this on uh, December 30th of 2020. And another thing I did here uh, recently, which I liked is no one is going to forget to put the correct year on their checks, assuming they still write checks in in January of 2021 this year. It's unlikely you're going to be like, oh, wait, I st- I forgot. I thought it was still 2020. I think we'll all be pretty safely like, nope, it's 2021. I'm sure people have already been writing 2021. Just hoping we're going to get there again. And we don't know. We're assuming this show can be heard in January of 2021. We're assuming 2021 happens and Ugh. podcast distribution works and the internet's still up oh, there. What if a lot the of assumptions. What if the joke's on us and we just start 2020 over again? You know, like the cl- yeah. we grung yeah. hot 2020. I did see <laughs> December 32nd, 2020 <laughs> as a thing. So, hey, who knows? Well, I was looking ahead at 2021 and uh, Groundhog's Day is a Monday. So I think we are going to have to do a Groundhog Day show. So we'll have to figure that out. Because also uh, the Punxsutawney family of Groundhogs have been really trend spotters and predictors for many years. Although... I'm not sure whether the groundhog itself is the predictor or the people who look at the groundhog are the predictor. I don't know if they ever actually interview the groundhog to confirm their prediction about the winter. But anyway, that's again, that's for the future. And through the power of editing, some of this may never be heard. (laughs) Now that I actively edit the show, it's a whole other show. No, I think we have to tell the people about the future of Groundhog. The future of Groundhog Day, (laughs) yes. But there'll be more, there's a tease, it's coming. There's plenty of time. But yeah, so we wanted to get a look ahead into 2021. 2020 was a transformational year on so many fronts, but uh, but then we're going to head into a new year. There's obviously going to be some carryover from 2020, particularly around the pandemic. It looks like we have at least another, say, six to eight months of finishing out the narrative. Hopefully, that's a positive interpretation of how the the vaccine works and the prognosis more broadly about the pandemic works out. But, uh, but beyond that, it does start to feel like we're entering the future. I still remember back in Y2K, January 1st, Y2K. I remember I was in Brooklyn, right where I am uh, these days. And I remember walking around after the new year and saying to people, welcome to the future. And I think in some ways, 2021 is really going to feel like 
the future in a profound way because I think we all really do want to turn the page. Sure. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know if everybody remembers the Conan O'Brien bit the in the year 2000. Yes. Right? That whole bit when 2000 came and everyone was like, well, we're here. Yeah. Um, I think... I'm very much looking forward to 2021. I think the majority of people listening to this podcast and, right. and Americans and, and yeah. of the world I are mean, looking I, forward to it. I, I just want to make sure we're putting the right emphasis on the right things looking forward, right? We're not hoping it's just better than the year before, but we're taking the trends that were both negative and positive in 2020. We're seeing what worked, trying to figure out what didn't work and how it can work better next year, how we can lean into online learning and, and uh, social emotional learning and things that like we've talked about in the past, but it's changed. So 2020 has really changed the lens with which we look at some of these things, so many different things happening in the world, so many different things with learning and education. It's exciting. It's exciting to be a part of it and see things changing, things changing actively when for so long, it's taken so long for things to change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read this sign recently in someone's yard and I thought it was so poignant and it was like, why return to normal? Isn't it time to make it better? Mm. And, and I think that's how we should think about education. I don't want to see us go back to normal education. I, yeah. I want to see us, now is the time that we want to look back at 2020 and say, that's the year that we started transforming the ed system the way we knew we could in the US and abroad. Yeah. Like going more online, mm -hmm. making it more accessible to everyone, making it more equitable to everyone. I think that's my hope for 2021. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because uh, I remember in 2020, there was a lot of talk of a watershed moment and, and also a, a point of inflection, a point at which things that had been moving at a certain pace were now moving at a different and accelerated pace. So something changed, the rate of change changed. And, and then also I think the, the social awakening that I really, I don't remember witnessing a social awakening to the extent that 2020 was a social awakening. It, it reminds me of what I've read about the 60s and the change in consciousness that happened then, because it was also generational. And, and that's why I think there was that initial thinking, but then it was such a shock to the system that I don't think we've been out of a fight or flight mode since yeah. that shift in consciousness. And that's why I think many of us, and I would include myself in this group at, at this point, are, are cautiously optimistic about where things are going to head because A, we showed some resilience to get through this together. And then perhaps more importantly, we did this together. I think it's really easy to underestimate how unique this global shared experience has been. If you think about the trends around globalism, everyone's consuming yeah. the same type of things. There's smartphones. We, we talked about the Mika report. More than half the world is internet enabled and it's growing fast in in Africa and in Asia, and the world is having a very shared experience. And then despite the fact that it's, the impact is most horrific at the bottom end of, of the, the, the socioeconomic world that we live in, everyone is being forced to change their behavior. Everyone is being forced to reflect on not just themselves, but their relationship to others and the health of others, including the health of other members of their family. And everyone's been forced to go smaller when we were going bigger. It was all about how many weak ties can I get? And this to me was a much more tighter focus on the strong ties and the people, people you really care about. And yeah, I'm hopeful. I think despite the rancor on the political side, I think there's a deeper sense of purpose and meaning that I think more people are tapping into than have ever tapped into before. And I don't think that's the type of thing that 
goes away. And if anything, I think the political rancor is a distraction. So I'm hoping we can almost minimize that, let that quiet down, and then engage in a different kind of conversation. I find it fascinating that during this time, I feel like I've gotten closer to some people because of what happened this past year while losing out on necessarily making more acquaintances. So like the relationships I have, I think have become more refined and more important. Yeah. Uh, connections have become solidified in a lot of ways because I used to use the word tribe, but you find the people that you relate to a little bit more. I've talked about our neighborhood on past episodes of how that really came together and became this thing. But I wonder of from a learning perspective, talking about my kids specifically, they are missing out on that interaction, right? Being in person and, and the social norms and the things they learn in that way. And the, so I wonder, Mike, from your perspective, from a learning perspective, like thinking of 2021, Melissa, you said, let's not return to the old normal. Let's make it better. How do you, how do we see that in the future? How do we see the connective tissue of online learning in person, social, emotional interactions and the importance of all of those things together. Do you see a happy middle ground, Mike? Do you see that sort of ability to make it work or do you see it as one or the other online learning and, and technology or in person and the old model? Uh, of yeah, the I think it's going to be a blend. I, I think everyone is starting to think about it as a concoction, uh, a small batch artisanal blend of different modes of learning. Right. What I think is different now is a, a new awareness that leveraging media and emerging online capabilities can open up certain modes of instruction that, that have been open for a long time, but many folks haven't thought about it first and foremost, because we always have the, the gift of being in a small group together, or even in a relatively big group together. I, I also think the blend is going to lead to smaller class sizes. We've talked uh, in the past about the two pizza rule that Amazon has, where you don't have more than enough people to eat two pizza pies in a meeting. And frequently there's 30 people in a meeting. And that means you all get like a, a mini slice of the pie. I think now people can start to get more attention if we divvy it up the right way, but it's going to be tricky. Melissa, how about, how about you? What are you thinking about heading into the year? I agree with a lot of the sentiments, right? That we are getting into our own world. I found closer friendships here. My, my challenge with that though, is I do worry, and even in education and for kids, that we are self-fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so we're becoming further and further apart from people because now I'm, we're hanging out with people like-minded yeah, to ourselves right. and we're missing the interactions that yeah. I truly valued as a kid, yeah. which is meeting people completely out of my comfort zone. And yeah. so I think one of the things I'm looking to see is in a world where we do have to insulate to these pods, how do you bring about the 2021 pen pal mm -hmm. where you can meet that person from mm -hmm. Africa or from the middle America or from, right? because I think that's an important element that we we now have the technology to do it mm -hmm. uh, and we should foster it because i i think it's a scary world where we all just hold on to our core beliefs mm -hmm. and don't don't necessarily understand what the other person is thinking yeah yeah one of the terms that i got to understand much better in 2020 was filter bubble and the idea that you see only what the algorithms have learned to feed you and then frequently what you will see is only like-minded posts yeah. from like-minded minds out there. And that winds up creating this, this pernicious cycle where you're just reinforcing 
yourself. It's honestly why I try to spend the least amount of time on Facebook because that's where I feel it happening. And when I'm in there, it just, it doesn't feel authentic to me anymore. It feels actually damaging, which is troubling because it's also a place where I do feel probably the most emotional connection to the conversations that are happening there. It just feels, it feels like a false connection. And that's where, what I'm really curious about is what the technology landscape is going to look like around the intimate small group experience online. And then who starts to figure out how to blend those things together with great in-person. And that's when I was thinking about what happens to the WeWorks model or the Convene model as it applies to learning. Because I do think the context when you are going to want to get people in the same space together, I think there'll be, I think it's good that there will be fewer of them. And it's good that we're going to want to make the most of that limited access because otherwise I think you wind up wasting face-to-face time with the the FaceTime component of face-to-face. Thoughts? Because on the one hand, Zoom, the Zooms of the world are going to have a lot more of a monopoly to a certain extent around some of these things, but it's also very much commoditized. And I think it's a place where new new capital can come in to start inventing new forms of interaction. That's where, again, I I keep coming back to that cautious optimism because even the pandemic, as it is to say, was probably long-term net favorable to learning because it was a shock to system that is forcing us to actually engage in digital in a way that we probably should have long ago. I think there is, I think there's going to be a diverse, diverse experience and immersive experience around education. I can see a world just by coming together on the Zoom conversation and everything else. I can see a world where I do some interactions with, in class with students in smaller pods. And I do see a world where we're calling out for technology that brings together people from all over the world. The one thing I learned this year very early on was that globalization is, it's now here, right? I can have the same experience with someone who lives in New York or in New Jersey with me as I could with someone in England or in San Francisco or in Australia. And I've made those connections back with my friends, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something I don't think you're going to lose. And so now think about how you bring that again back into education and what experiences you can have if you can have a child in the Caribbean studying or a child in Asia. Think about how you learn Mandarin now Mm -hmm. and how you do those experiences. And that makes it a lot more accessible to not just the rich who can afford to bring their children to Asia or somewhere else. Now that's something that everyone can achieve. And I think that's why I'm optimistic. I think the pandemic forced us into a technology that we, if we now use and this power is equalizing. And mm-hmm. I, I'm hopeful for that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it, the challenge is, is that we're going to learn a lot through some misses. It's not going to yes. be all home runs. So like right. new technologies, the quibbies of learning are yeah. going to happen and then we'll learn from that iteration. Yeah. And But that's why I think it'll be interesting on both sides of the technology side of this, where I think platforms like Zoom have a tremendous head start and will in some ways if they can navigate it well, they will become the coin of the realm. They already are there. And it's a leveraged position that they're going to want to try to ride out through learning. But then on the learning plays themselves, I think there'll be two options. It'll be either build on top of Zoom or come up with a new play. And 
I think there'll be funding on both sides. I think there'll yeah. be a lot of investment on both sides because I think both sides may be successful in some ways. I think it's going to be a big ecosystem. Could Zoom start to get north of 50% of that broad learning marketplace? Probably. And then if that's the case, it's different than if there's a lot of smaller players fighting for the foundation. In some ways you want to... You want a majority player just so that you can standardize around it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot there. So I think Zoom has a large, I, I will continue to point to Google as someone, if they decide someday to really turn on Google Classroom and merge Meet and, and really make that a true educational tool, everyone else is in the dust, right? Yeah. I, I think that's a definite possibility. So many school districts have Gmail as their basis and, and have Google Classroom as what they have. I do agree Zoom is in a, a great place moving forward. You made the point, Mike, about the technology bringing people together. I also think teachers have seen that they can bring technology into the classroom at a better pace, mm -hmm. use other people's lessons, use other curriculum that's out there and, and merge that into what they're doing, which I think is a big key for next year. But these platforms and these plays, I've already seen four or five platforms that are saying they're the Zoom for education, right? right? They're, they're, they're the next thing it almost becomes, how do we test all these? Like, how, right. how are we actually getting into them and seeing if they work? Right. Are they going to be these sort of small mom and pop shops compared to Zoom? It's a great time to be into online learning, obviously. But I do think there's almost this race now to chase that Zoom high when Zoom took off, when the pandemic started, mm -hmm. that we're going to see in January and February far more failures than I think we'll see real competitors to Zoom and those. Oh, yeah. The, the yeah. bigger ones. No, I wouldn't. I, I wasn't thinking Q1 of next year. I was right. thinking more. You start investing now in, Q1, yep. in the hopes that some of these new and emerging capabilities, because at the same time, we've talked about, you know, augmented reality and other new forms of, of social engagement that are going to be emerging in the next decade. It still is the future. In some ways, we stalled in this jumpstart due to the pandemic and all the focus, all the investment was in the biotech, which is space that's also going to just continue to hum because I doubt we really just knock COVID out and it's easy peasy for the, the rest of the, the 2020s. This was a rush job. So I think we're going to, we're going to be navigating all that for some time, but, uh, but Melissa, any thoughts on just where the, the technology and the investment appetite's going to be heading into this next decade? I think investment is going to pour into education in a lot of different ways. I think you're right. A lot of people are going to pour into the Zoom of, for education, which I think Zoom would be an idiot if they don't continue to innovate, because I think they're the closest to what I would see as an emerging platform in education. Mm -hmm. So I do think you'll see investment there. I think you'll see a lot of investment go into startups around healthcare as well, like in healthcare education. I think what the pandemic has also shown is that we as a, a country are still woefully ignorant when it comes to science. And so yeah. uh, this may be yeah. a, more of a wish than a, an actual trend that's going to happen. I hope to see a lot more focused on science-based education because we started arguing about science. And once, when we start arguing about science, I think there's something wrong with this world. Like, but what is science? And I guess it's been happening for a while, right? Like, it's been happening with climate change for a while. So yeah, uh, it's shame on me to not realize that it would happen in with, with health and what is yeah, uh, right. risky. The thing I've been thinking about as well is uh, the quantified self, which is something we've yeah. talked about a lot and something that I've always been fascinated in how that could apply to learning. 
which I still think is a longer term buy. Like that's happening, yeah. but it's going to take a little while. But I think the bioinformation becoming so closely tied to really your sense of safety yeah. is, is a huge transformation. And what that will actually mean to the technology that emerges, the, the user research that happens to design these things in ways that are more seamless, built, they blend in with your life, they're non-intrusive, which is also why I do come back to, to AR again as a longer term trend where I do think just a simple overlay that I could see periodically that yeah. gives me some simple feedback, I think applies across healthcare, nutrition, learning, performance. If I'm trying to drive my car better, if I could get some subtle cues, yeah. that type of technology, it's here in some sense, but then right. how does it get invested in? And that's where I do think your point about healthcare is, is spot on. The funding will be flowing there. So what happens around the design of these products and services for individuals as consumers of healthcare products? And then how does that relate yeah to learning context and they'll be happening in yeah. parallel, but I always like to look across just to see if there are ways where you could borrow something from one place or the investment would work in more than one place, which is also why coming back to Zoom, this episode is sponsored by Zoom. <laughs> Come back to Zoom. Like I do think it's good enough that it can just subtly be there and you forget that it's there, which to me, I feel like it's already reached a level of ubiquity. And honestly, it, the, the way in which it is, it's, it's stock price has certainly reflected right. some hope around its continued growth because it really emerged out of nowhere. But rather than just talk about Zoom, I, I am curious what will be the what will be the Zoom of biotech? What will be the Zoom of learning? I, I think Zoom, in, to make one final point there, it became a verb this year, right? Yeah. Like you, you know, I Zoomed with or I'm Zooming with. And when that happens, I think it becomes just part of the fabric of what people are doing when yeah. you, you make it an active, an active move. You're talking about AR and the quantified self that you've talked about for a few years now are things that have come in to play for me just with my kids at home, trying to understand their progress on things, trying to see their, you know, Lexia reports as a reading website, trying to understand how many pages they're reading, how many words they're reading, what new words they've learned aren't necessarily things I would have done if this hadn't have happened. If I didn't have direct access to their computers and to them on a daily basis, yeah. the AR stuff I find fascinating in the world of health, right? Can I, hold my phone up and have a cadaver in front of me where, where I can move things around. If I'm a, a med student. Okay. Uh, or, I didn't know or, where you were or, going or, suddenly or yeah. a lion or like yeah. Google has every once in a while where Gorgu, the baby Yoda from Mandalorian, you can take oh, a yeah. picture on your phone with Google and he's in the scene with you, right? Like he's in the picture. So that seems so simple and right. Readily available from Google. Can we do that where you're interacting with a plant or an animal yeah. or, or you get that sense I that's a huge thing that I think is already to your point available. Mm -hmm. And just how does that interact with a K through 12 teacher or, or a grad yeah. student somewhere or, or someone who might be able to use it? Yeah, I would add, I think AR, anything around AR is where it's what's going to take off in the healthcare space. Anything around being able to interact with patients mm -hmm. is, is going to take off in, in the healthcare space. So you naturally see it fall back into education, right? Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see 
a world where in healthcare, I'm, I'm going to be less willing to take my mom to the doctor when yep. I can have the doctor talk on the phone. And yep. if there's a way where I can take the vitals at home yeah. and send them to the doctor, that's going to be helpful. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you'll see that, I think, come back into the educational space because, mm-hmm. again, I think accessibility is key in, in this world, right? The more people you can bring into the fold, the better it's going to be. And so you can get more people access to education around healthcare. You can yeah. train more people in uh, to be doctors if you're and nurses, if you're using a lot more virtual yeah. tools to do it. So I for sure think that's going to be a huge part of the healthcare space. And then the audit, last point I'll make just a tangent. I think any technology that makes education more accessible mm-hmm. is what is going to be uh, front and center uh, yeah. for 2021. It has to be, right? Because right. if we, we think we have a divide right now between the, the rich and the poor, that is going to be far more prevalent when we go into 2021. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I would add that it needs to be teacher-centric as much yes. as it is learner-centric. And that's where I don't think we've caught up there by any stretch yet. And that is the place where I am curious which platforms can... Yeah build with the the teacher at the center of their their universe because in many ways getting back to your question about the blending dan like i think lots of times the teacher will be doing the blending right and there's at least the perception now which i think is almost like a a short-term reaction that you need to separate in person from online and as someone who has worked in the the corporate world for some time where those blends are pretty comfortably managed as you settle into it and you equip people with the the basic understanding and the tools they need to get something started. Right. And then it can just blend into the background, which is really the way a lot of the technology I think will need to work. And then over the top, there'll be the differentiated, sticky feedback, gaming, gamification, super fun stuff. But I don't think you can lead with that because you got to get the teachers comfortable using it. You got to get the learners and their families comfortable with you having their learning data. Just we have to be comfortable with people having our, our health data. Like those are pretty large moats to cross. And I could see, again, the, the bigger players landing on the right side of those moats. Right. And then the, the learning differentiation happening on top of it. It's what I think it's called Class EDU. Yeah is what the founder of Blackboard has now founded. And it's built on top of Zoom. And that to me makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the Zoom marketplace or what they created to allow for development on top of their system was a great play, right? Just from a business sense and opening up their ecosystem to have other people build on top made a world of sense to what they were doing. I think you hit on something that I've noticed anecdotally for my kids with the teachers is, We need to get better about training our teachers from the district and school level and sharing information. Mm -hmm. So many of these teachers are bringing individual apps or individual videos or like doing the research and doing heavy lifting on their own where they're making their curriculum work in this environment. We need to get to a world where professional development is focused and has this technology built into it, Mike. I think you're absolutely spot on there. Training the teachers so they're comfortable. But you mentioned the, the corporate setting. I worked remotely for five and a half years, I think now, there are difficult meetings to be in when you're the only person who's remote or the person who's running the meeting doesn't get that they need to engage with you in the same manner they do with the people in room. That's more training for teachers, getting them to understand the right ways to engage with virtual versus in-person and how to focus. And I think that's 
again, it's a people part of the problem, not the platform, but let's get training up to speed. Let's get this understood. Let's give teachers the tools to do this well, because it it is the future. So that's where the investment I think also comes in is making sure these teachers are comfortable Mm -hmm. are well-trained and those who aren't into it find them something else to do in the district or in it's going to have to happen. You're going to have to move people around. And I think that's going to be a a tough task, but one that this year, and I think the next few years is going to be a big, important one. Yeah. And and just real quick on that example, in many of those meetings, when I was working from home, (laughs) if I was forgotten about, I was not always disappointed. Oh, no, I think is another thing that's important is just setting norms and expectations more like an audit mode on a meeting is actually a useful thing. Like I'm not expected to talk. I'm not going to raise my hand. You're not expected to really bring me in, but I think you just have to be very clear and intentional about what works. I, I will add to that by saying, I do think that you do have to be able to engage kids in that media. And so the teachers have to be able to do it. And I think that's where more tools can help. I think to your point, Dan, I'm going to go back to a statement, Mike, because you made that, that obviously you were trying to trigger me as you usually do. But when you said that people have to get more comfortable with data, as we all know, I, I welcome my robot overlords taking over my data and learning. I think data next year, it's going to be so valuable, right? When testing may or may not be as easy to do in a virtual world, the data you can have from people using things like Khan Academy or students studying online and the amount of hours they're putting in, that information is going to be relevant for teachers. And I think a way to get that data into the hands of teachers so that they can use it and help uh, figure out which students are engaging. Like even something as simple as a tool on Zoom that says, this child hasn't spoken in in 20 minutes for the last mm-hmm. or for the last two classes, making sure that you remember to call it and giving yeah. that teacher that information mm-hmm. is going to be helpful for it. So I think data is going to be a huge part of next year. And I think people have got to get comfortable with it if they're yeah. not. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because I think the trust problem is still there. And that's also where if any of these platforms can misstep, I think it's by losing trust. Yep. Although arguably Facebook still doing pretty well and arguably they have lost a lot of trust but they still e-commerce has taken off the advertising model i think is the one that may be losing trust yeah. where i think scott galloway wrote a book called post corona which I, I just read it was good and one of the things he talks about is the the power of the the rundle which is the recurring revenue bundle and that if you can get more of that model as opposed to the advertising model as the place where you get your revenue. It's a much more authentic transaction than the idea of a quote unquote free product that is actually powered by advertising on the back end. That is an interesting thing to keep an eye on, which platforms have the trust that could win the educational space. Again, I think Zoom's there, but Zoom's had some hiccups around privacy. And then Zoom also has a lot of ties to China. And there were there, all the issues around TikTok and privacy around TikTok. I'm still somewhat hopeful around Zoom. I'm actually rooting for them because I think there's an opportunity cost in finding a primary player. And to your point, Dan, now that we're Zooming, maybe there already is a player who's out there and doing some interesting work. And also there's the added benefit of the platform doesn't just work for education, which right. is the other place where it's going to be difficult to compete with the funding levels you would need to be truly best in class if you're exclusively designed for education. I think if it can deliver on education, telehealth, 
working from home, which is right. Zoom really seems to be in that space. There's other technologies that'll emerge like Zoom, I'm not ruling out the potential for other players, but it does feel like if we could at least standardize on some of these things, standardize on the data, Melissa, that you were describing, and then also uh, build that trust and protection of sensitive data. Again, cautious optimism. So we have, we have lots going on, lots to talk about. Any concluding thoughts? Melissa, beginning with you, concluding thoughts. I, I am rooting for anything that brings more education into the biotech space and, and, and science. I'm rooting for that. And my big point is technology that makes it more accessible. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Looking forward. I'm excited. I think there's a lot in learning and education, but to your point, Mike, I think these can solve more than one problem. They, they can bring things together like a Zoom that is accessible across multiple different businesses and business types and available. I would say keep an eye on Amazon, keep an eye on Google in 2021 when it comes to education and learning. I think they might be leaning in more and more as they see Zoom flourish, but I am cautiously optimistic that we're going to see some great leaps this year that may not have been possible just two or three years ago. So excited for the year. Yeah, and I'm blown away by the breadth of what's going on out there where we just focused uh, on a few things today, but I, but I think just the breadth of the learning universe is so big and we're trying to, trying to keep track of it all. I think there'll be new stuff on the horizon as well around how we can get it organized so that our listeners can keep up and uh, focus on what they want to focus on when we're talking about something as well, because it's just... There's a lot going on, but I'm really happy to be doing this. Thanks again for an amazing 2020, Melissa and Dan and our listeners. And really looking forward to what 2021 has in store for us in a good way. And then hopefully we can shake off some of the some of the bad mojo that we may have experienced in 2020. And with that, we'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening.